Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. The book of Isaiah chapter 43, if you want to turn there and you can follow along in the word, Isaiah 43. And as you're turning there, I just want to go back and read. I'm going to read verse 1, verse 2, and then we're going to start at verse 3 and go on from there. It says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Think about that tonight. We're talking about the creator of the heaven and earth that created Adam and Eve, created this world, created the universe, created through all of the stars and the planets into orbit and is orchestrating everything right now as we speak. Uh, the one, the ancient of ages, he knows you by name, he knows me by name, and he has created us. And he calls you by your name. You are mine. You don't ever think that your name doesn't mean anything. Uh, someone gave you a name. Your parents gave you a name. And that name means very much to the Lord. He knows what that name is. And he calls you by your name. You are mine. And it could even also mean uh, a name that he calls us to. Sometimes we have nicknames. Um... I know I've had nicknames, which I won't mention, um, but maybe you have had some nicknames that you might not want to mention either. Um, my pastor had a nickname for me. I won't mention it either, but uh, some of you probably know it. But maybe the Lord has a nickname for us. Austin, maybe the Lord has a nickname for you. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, we, we don't know what that is, but he calls you by name. And then the scripture goes on, verse 2, uh, it says, "Fear." Uh, let's see, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And I'm going to stop there. Uh, we're going to uh, just kind of not long, but just a real quick recap of something that we finished off with last uh, last time we were teaching here on a Wednesday night and um, talking about going through the fire and through the water. Um, and, and we were talking about walking. And I remember I had mentioned uh, Brother Eric running across the coals. Uh, you probably remember that. I'm sure he probably has done that at some point or another. Um, he might even ran barefoot in the snow too. You've probably done that too, haven't you? That's I figured you had. So you've probably done about everything you can think of. And uh, I, I love Brother Eric. He's he's a unique man. Uh, but we, you know, when we talk about walking through the fire, um, you know, if we're fearful and we're afraid, we're going to run through the fire. But if we're not fearful, we're going to walk. Now, I remember as a child, I'm revealing a few things, but I was pretty small, and I, I had mentioned a little bit about this before, but uh, I, I don't know why my mother um, did this, but um, she always waited till it was the darkest of the darkest night to say, here, Mark, I want you to take these newspapers over to your great-grandmother's house and I'm thinking why couldn't this have been done during the day when it was bright sun shining and I would not have been afraid there was a little bit of fear because and, and I don't know what it is but have you maybe it's just me but do you ever look at like some of these real old pictures of people that goes back to the 1800s 
and it looks like they're staring you at you uh, with these beady eyes and they're looking at you and it's scary you know what I'm talking about or is it just me I mean is it just me or have you had a little bit of fear also I remember my great grandmother's house she had these pictures of old pictures of different ones she even had some tin type pictures uh, one of them was a it was a joke picture that was made but it was a tin type picture of my great grandfather and his his name was Samuel uh, Branson Ward and his brother um, were standing there and they were acting like they were fighting with knives they had knives and they were and this thing goes back I mean he was he was born in the 1800s uh, but this picture had to have gone back before he went into World War One so uh, it was probably in the early 1900s World War One was in 1917 1918 and he went to war but he was just a teenager at this time but that picture uh, just had such an interesting look to it there were some other pictures she had, and when you look at them, it just looks like they're just staring you, staring through your eyes, looking at you. So the reason why I say that is when I would take those newspapers from my house to my grandmother's house, uh, it was pitch dark, and uh, there was a whole lot of fear came up, and I would start out, and I always tell myself, I'm going to walk to her house with these newspapers. I would start out walking. I would get about 10 to 15 feet and all of a sudden fear would kick in and I would take off running as fast as I could all the way to my grandmother's house which was only there was a a lot between us so it wasn't a long ways but there was a path that we had worked all the way over to her house but I would run because and, and the whole time I'm thinking about those pictures in my grandmother's house and thinking about these people are looking at me and fear I was just little little guy but then I had to walk from there back to my house and I would say the same thing I'm gonna walk all the way over to my house I'm gonna brave it and when I would start out 10 15 feet all of a sudden boom it, fear hit me and I would take off running as fast as I could and I, I was a fast runner at that time uh, but fear when you're in fear you run for fear that you might uh, be hurt or whatever but when you don't have fear what do you do you walk you walk I was fighting fear I tried to make a decision that I'm going to walk but yet fear took the best of me and I ran as fast as I could um, but when you don't have fear you're going to walk so this that's the reason why it says that this life living for God is a walk of faith a walk of faith and uh, we don't have to panic we don't have to fear as long as we know that our creator is with us every step of the way he is with us every step of the way we don't have to fear we don't have to run as if we didn't trust the Lord if we trust him and realize he is there with us we don't have anything to fear he is with us through the fire. He's with us through the, through the flood. And um, walking is the pace. This is what I mentioned the last few words of the last lesson. Walking is the pace at which you go when you are not in a hurry, when you are not concerned or alarmed, when you are not burdened or anxious. Then you walk. And then I read a scripture of Isaiah 28 and 16. You might mark this scripture in your Bible. Isaiah 28 and 16. It says, He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth shall not make haste. When we believe that God is with us, and when we believe that God is right beside us, in us, all around us, and he's protecting us, when we believe that, faith, he that believeth shall not make haste. We don't have to run. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. 
And we believe here tonight. We believe that the Lord is in this place right now. We believe that the Lord is with us everywhere we go. On the job, at the market, at the mall, at the park, school, wherever we're at, God is with us. We don't have to make haste. It's just a simple walk of faith. Put one foot in front of the other. You ever noticed, and I think I mentioned this last time also, you ever notice those that have been in this thing for a long time, the elders of the church, they don't get real, um, real bent out of shape when things are not going just like we think it should be. When we're trying to find perfection and, and something's thrown in the way and it seems like things are not going the way we expect it to, we like to see things perfect, right in line, perfectly exactly planned like we planned it to be. But when God comes in and starts shaking it up a little bit, then we get a little bit bothered by that. But if we believe that God knows best, we don't have to make haste. To the elders, they just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And what do they say? God's got this. You know why? Because they've been down those roads before. They've seen their, uh, very tough situations in life. And they've also seen God come through. So when we consider that today, we need to not make haste, but just simply believe. Believe. Have faith that God's word is true. He is going to come through for us. He's with us. He's our creator. He's covering us. He's protecting us. He's guiding us. And as he talked to Israel here, understanding also that we are the spiritual Israel as the church. God's covering us. He's taking care of us. And then we go from verse 1 and 2 to verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God. Isaiah 43 and 3. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north. Now, understanding in this scripture that there was, there was uh, talking about the, you know, Israel being in captivity, that the Lord was going to bring them together again from the, from the east and from the west. I will say to the north also, I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. We're coming back together. We're coming back from captivity to a unified effort again in that promise that I've given you. God is saying that to us. He's bringing us back together. I will say to the north, give up. South, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Verse 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Now, in this story, we are finding that the Lord was bringing his people that he loved back from captivity, bringing them back together from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. He was saying, give them up, bring my sons, bring my daughters back. The reason why he was doing this is bringing them out of captivity 
because he loved them that's the whole basis on this whole thing he's doing it because he loves them but yet also along this same thought here even though they were in captivity they were in foreign lands some of them took on uh, beliefs and idol worship of that land but he still brought them back and he brought them back for the purpose of restoration restoration and you can find this as he as he talks about it. he said I created you for my glory I have formed him yea, I have made him bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled whom among them can declare this and show us former things let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified he was giving them an opportunity to make their case of why idol worship was better than what he had to offer but he knew that the he knew that the end results of that would that they would have to that they would eventually have to speak the truth that idol worship is nothing. An idol that is made by materials that God has created. An idol that does, it's got ears but it can't hear. It's got eyes but it can't see. It, it's got uh, a mouth but it can't speak. It doesn't feel after the things that you feel after. It, it can't feel the feelings that you have. An idol, it's nothing. But God can also on this I want you to think about this as we we're talking about it just some thoughts are coming to me right now you you pretty well kind of take on the tendencies of what you worship he's saying okay blind that have eyes but you're blind you can't see idols have eyes but they're blind they were taking on the same traits that their idols were taking on. How about you blind? How about the deaf? You got ears, but you can't hear. They were taking on the traits of their idols. It's the same thing today. What you worship, you take on the tendencies of what you worship. So let's look at it in the sense of God. When you worship and live for God, you take on His tendencies. You take on what he desires. You take on, you love. Matter of fact, the longer you live for God, you begin to love the things that God loves. And you hate the things that God hates. That's Bible. That's what David said in the book of Psalms. I love the things that God loves. I hate the thing that God hates. Matter of fact, it even says in the scriptures that that, that, uh, that, that it even got to the point where they, they hated the enemies against God. It really says that in the Bible. I was reading that today. That they hated the enemies that talked against God. Here's the thing. When you worship, whatever you worship, you take on those traits. But when you worship God, you take on the traits of love. You take on the traits of mercy you take on the traits of miracles, wonders, salvation, redemption. You take on the traits of holiness. What you worship, you take on those traits of. That's the reason why children of God, you know, God doesn't want us to look at people in a downward way and say, I'm so much better than you. No. Does God do that? No. We take on the traits of our God that we worship. What, what he does is he, he reaches and loves. He wants us to take on those same traits. But when we worship idols, we take on the traits and desires of flesh, sin, ungodliness, unholiness, the world, the ways of the world. That's the reason why uh, there's, there, and that's the thing a lot of people in this world say I'm a Christian the tag of Christian but they're not worshipping Christ they're worshipping the world and the flesh there's no change from the time you give your heart and life to the Lord uh, the Bible says that, that come out from among them and be ye separate 
saith the Lord. What God is wanting us to do when we worship him is to come out from the world, not say, I give my life to the Lord and I'm a Christian and I look like the rest of the world, I act like the rest of the world, I talk like the rest of the world, I desire the things that the rest of the world desires. No, what God is saying is when we worship him, we love the things that God loves, we hate the things that God hates, we desire the things that God desires, we we read the word because we want to know God's will so we can please him. Amen? We want to please him. So we want to dig into the word. We want to hear the teaching of the word so that we can walk in his way and please him. We take on the traits of what we worship. But as he began to speak these things to Israel, he said, since you were precious in my sight. You see, God here describes the motivation for his work of redemption for Israel and also his work of redemption of going to the cross and dying on the cross and shedding his blood for us. He's describing it. This is his motivation, his work of redemption. It's as simple as he did it all. He was motivated by his love for us. That's the reason why he did it. Because his love for us. He said, you're precious in his sight. The actual wording, since you were precious in my sight. We are precious in the sight of God. Because we are his creation. He was even talking to those that had eyes but were blind and those that had ears but didn't hear. He loves us. That's the reason why he, he called from the north, the south, east, and west to call his sons and daughters back together so he could deliver them, set them free, and give them an understanding that the ways of the of the. Of the um, the countries that you were in and the things that you uh, took on while you were there, the, 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 the idols and the worship of other religions, I want to let you know that those things are not going to take care of you. I'll give you an opportunity to speak your peace, but you're going to eventually, it says it here, you're eventually going to have to speak truth. <laughs> there is a truth and there is a lie. God's word is always truth. It's the final authority. We could get in an argument today. I remember in Bible college, and we did this because we liked to debate. It was just debate. There was sometimes we took on subjects and debated things that we didn't even believe, but we just wanted to debate just for the sake of being able to debate. That's the reason why my wife sometimes is up against a debater. I've learned in Bible college in the dorm how to debate and argue to the very nth degree she's a pretty good debater too she's been in those dorms also but we used to practice those things and we'd argue about things and, and then of course at the end we would come together and say yes I understand that's not really what I believe but you know I just I was debating that just for the sake of debate but you see there's a lot of things that we can debate and we can have our opinions about but when it comes down to the final word God's word is the final authority. Not my opinion, not your opinion, not anybody else's opinion. God's word is the final word. Not even uh, the greatest ruler of this world could have an opinion and think that he's all that, but when it comes to the final authority, his word has nothing against God's word. He, God's word is the final authority authority the final truth there is truth and there's also false doctrine but his God's word is truth and it settles all debates amen but we are precious in the sight of the Lord and he did it all because he as it says in the scripture in Isaiah 43 he did it because he loves us that was the motivating factor behind it all. 
even those that might not be doing the right things, he is still reaching for us because he loves us. That's his motivation. We are precious in his sight. This is uh, really, when we look at the sense you were precious in my sight, this is an Old Testament example of the truth in the book of John 3.16. Everybody could quote that scripture, I'm sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This right here is an Old Testament example of that truth. For God so loved the world. He did it because he loves us. But to show his true love, he put himself in a fleshly form, which is the begotten son that came to this earth and gave his life for us. He didn't, he didn't say for someone else to go. He came and put his own self, his own spirit in a fleshly form. God in flesh manifest, manifest himself. That shows his love. Shows the power of his love. That's the reason why we as apostolics believe in the oneness of God because it's biblical. There's other scriptures in the Bible that even state that the Lord said, uh, there is none beside me, no, not one, and none will come after me or before me. I am the only God. But that shows his love for us. That's his motivating factor. To prove his love for his people uh, in the scriptures of Isaiah 43, uh, God was even willing to give a ransom for his people that were in captivity. And this says that he was willing to give Egypt, Cush, and Seba as a ransom for Israel. To bring them back to the land that he promised to them he was willing to give these things up. Now, I don't know what kind of hold he had on those. I know he is in control. He has all power on anything and everything. But he gave up as a ransom for the children of Israel, Egypt, Cush, and Seba. These three nations may symbolize Israel's great worth because these were great countries at that time. But when someone gives a ransom, you're basically giving up something that is very valuable to you you know sometimes uh, you've heard of people being kidnapped and then there is a ransom that is given uh, or you know there is a uh, there is a, a word that goes out to the people that have lost their loved ones someone has been kidnapped and and they say if you will give us well a million dollars not a million dollars is a whole lot to me, but uh, in this world now, they're talking trillions and trillions of dollars. Used to a million dollars, all they talked about back in the 60s, and then it got to the 70s, 80s, it was billions of dollars. Now it's trillions of dollars. I can't fathom that in my mind, but, but when people were kidnapped, they would say, if you want your loved one back, then you need to give so many millions of dollars in a ransom. Put it in a certain bag or put it in a certain place and then you can come and pick up your loved one and um, so it was something of value that they wanted to be able to give something back to you that you lost that was valuable so when you give a ransom you are giving up something valuable for the freedom of someone or something far more valuable to you so what the Lord was doing he gave up Egypt, evidently it had great value to him. He gave up Cush and he gave up Seba as a ransom for Israel. A three-for-one deal here. A three-for-one deal. But it shows the value of Israel and the worth of Israel to the Lord that he loved Israel. That's the thing about people that have lost someone that has been kidnapped they are willing to give up everything because of their love for the one that they have taken from them. And the Lord loved Israel so much, he was willing to ransom things that were valuable for something that was far more valuable than what he gave up, which was Israel, the people of Israel. 
including in that bunch of people of Israel were those that were living right by the laws and those that were not living right by the laws. Those that had turned to other idols. Very interesting that he gave up these things for the whole of Israel. From the north, south, east, and west. A three for one deal. But the Lord was also saying here in Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east. You see, God's presence and blessing with Israel would also be demonstrated by unleashing the shackles of their exile. That shows how much and demonstrated how much he loved them and cared about them. He said, fear not, I am with you. I'm going to deliver you from this oppression. I'm going to deliver you from the shackles and from the exile of your life the captivity of your life that's the reason why he went to the cross it was all about love because he loves his creation not just us as in church but he loves everyone he loves the one that is out on the street right now that doesn't know where they're at but substance abuse has destroyed their their thinking and and they're struggling right now with drugs that have, and they're hallucinating on things but the Lord is reaching for them just as much as he's reaching for us right now why? because he loves them just as much as he loves us that's who God is he loves us with everything and he loves them also we're not better than anybody else they're just as precious in the eyes of the Lord as anybody else that's who God is. And knowing that God is with us, they were told that you're going to have to make a decision. And that decision was, fear not. Knowing that the Lord is with you, fear not, for I am with you. So knowing that God was with them, they had to make a decision. God's not going to just take the fear away. It's our decision to give up the fear. You know what the Bible says about fear? It says, perfect love casteth out fear. You know what I think when I, th when I think about that? When I fall truly and totally head over heels in love with the Lord and worshiping him and living for him and serving him in my life and in holiness and in a walk with God committed to him, you know what's going to happen to the fear? It goes. It goes. It goes. God doesn't just take it away from us. It, it is dependent upon our love to him. When we fall in love with him, with everything, fall in love with his word, fall in love with, his, with just walking with him, serving him, coming faithfully to the house of the Lord and living for him and surrendering our lives to him, come out from among them out of the world and be separate, committing ourselves to the Lord Fear goes. Perfect love casteth out fear. Perfect love casteth out fear. Because we know that God's with us. Fear not, he said. You, you must make a decision. I must. We, we must make a decision to to, to um, not fear and know that God is with us in that fear not uh, you and I must make a decision to also after we cast out fear to not resurrect fear so many times people cast things out and then they after a period of time whether it's bored or whatever or the flesh just getting too strong then they try to resurrect things you've got to make a decision to fear not and not resurrect it make a decision to not resurrect fear through an intimate heart to heart resuscitation no jump starts I've mentioned this before but a lot of times people repent and die to their sins they need to leave them here not pick them back up and go back out. Leave them at the altar 
And when you're buried in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, you're washing symbolically those sins away in a watery grave and taking on the name of Jesus. But sometimes people, after a period of time, start that old person that you used to be, you start breathing into its nostrils some life again. You know how you do that? By letting the flesh get too strong in your life and letting sin get a hold of you. You need to go back to an altar and repent. That's the reason why it's so important for us as if we're going to walk with God and not in fear, but we're going to walk with God until the end, we need to continually in our lives go to an altar of repentance. Let that be a part of your walk with God. You don't have to just repent when you have sinned. If you have gone months and years without sin, you still need to repent. Search my heart, O God, and see if there be any wicked way within me. I want to make sure things are right. It doesn't hurt for a child of God to keep going back to that altar and saying, God, search me, forgive me. If there's any sin in my heart, let me make sure it gets right. I got to get it out of my heart. I don't want to take a chance in any way. I don't want to walk in fear of hell. You know, when you walk with God the way you need to walk with God, you're not fearing hell to live for God. You're, you're, you're rejoicing in heaven to live for God. Sometimes people live for God because they don't want to go to hell. That's the wrong concept of living for God. We need to live for God because we love him and he loves us and we are walking in that heavenly place in the Lord, in the spirit and in the word of God. Amen? But they were told, you've got to make a decision. Fear not. Sometimes people live so close to fear, fear becomes a part of their life. They entertain it nightly. Fear. It becomes a part of their thinking. Fear. It becomes a part of uh, their decision making. Fear can make you make wrong decisions. Fear can control you to the point where you make wrong decisions. It can affect your thinking. It can affect everything about your life. And you can get to a point where you don't have any peace because fear is controlling your life. Amen? In your spiritual walk with God, pull that indicator, that dipstick out where we look for the oil in our vehicle check the level of your love for God it makes all the difference it affected the Lord in everything that he did for his children sometimes we got to pull that indicator out and take a look is my love for God where it needs to be because when my love for God is where it needs to be it's going to cast out fear because I know God is with me. He's with me. And he's going to cover me. And he's going to protect me. I don't know of any, anyone that I would rather have around me than God. <laughs> Nobody, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And now that's not just because of me or you. It's because of God in me and God in you. Amen. With God with you, what do you have to fear? When the Creator is with you, what do you have to fear? The devil can't overcome God. God is true to his word. He's going to cover you. Now, there's going to be times you're going to go through trials and tests. That does not mean that God is not with you anymore. He's still with you. He's just allowing you to see some, some territory and some uh, landscapes that you wouldn't normally see. I've used that example bef before about sometimes we say uh, God is our co-pilot, but we don't need to let him be our co-pilot. 
He needs to be the pilot and we need to be the passenger and let him take us down roads. And, and there was an illustration at one point where it was a bicycle built for two. And when, uh, you know, they, they said, I let the Lord be the backseat driver and I steered. But when it got to the point where I finally decided to let the Lord be the pilot, he got in the front, I got in the back, and he took me down places I never even dreamed I could go. But there was some views in those landscapes that I had thought, you know, I would have never seen other than letting God take me down those roads. There's some things that we might not choose to go down. Some valleys we might go through that we would not choose. Some mountaintops or some places that we might not choose. But because we let God lead us, when we believe and the creator being with us and he's covering us and he's taking care of us it's going to be okay we've got to get to that point where we make a decision fear not for I am with you fear not because I am with you he is he's with us so what do you have to fear today what do you have to fear you have death to fear not really not when you look at the promises of the word of God things beyond this life is gain compared to this life and we have a lot of blessings in this life thank God for the blessings here but we have a promise beyond this world we trust him there's nothing to fear COVID is not anything to fear it's something to be wise with be smart with the Bible does say why be foolish and die before your time so use wisdom it does say that because there's a purpose for us being here upon this earth until God chooses to take us away at that point there is great gain great gain they could have hope for the future because they knew they were called by the name of the Lord and they were created for his glory his glory we were created for his glory Israel was created for God's glory created for his glory you and I were created for his glory. We want to glorify him with our life. That's really what it comes down to. We glorify him by, by obeying his commandments and living according to what he wants us to live by. They could have hope for the future because they knew they were called by the name of the Lord and they were created for his glory. There's an interesting little uh, illustration here about glory I come across. It says some, and it was written by St. Francis de Sales. Some men become proud and insolent because they ride a fine horse, wear a feather in their hat, or are dressed in a fine suit of clothes. Who does not see the folly of this if there be any glory in such things the glory belongs to the horse the bird and the tailor makes sense sometimes we're looking at things in a, in a manner that we, we have the glory no glory is not in us the glory is in the creator that made us and when you consider the scriptures, and I've got them down here, uh, uh, says, whom I have created for my glory, means that God not only has created us, but he has created us for a purpose. And, and I'm going to read some scriptures and psalms and close here tonight, but, but when you think about it, when an artist creates a painting or a sculpture, he has a purpose in his heart and in his mind before he starts he has a purpose he has some kind of an artistic thinking about it now I know that some paintings I wouldn't pay a buck 98 for 
that are worth millions and billions of dollars because it just looks like something someone just thrown paint at. But there was a purpose in this. There was a meaning in this. And um, when an artist creates a painting or sculpture, he has a purpose in his heart that others might not understand. They might not understand, but the artist understands. And sometimes we look in a mirror and we think, God, why did you create us like we were created? But you know what? The artist, he had a plan in why he created you the way you are. And he had a great purpose behind that. Every stroke of the brush on your life, there was meaning behind it. The way he made you, the way he made you think, the way he made you walk, live, think, talk, the way he made you look, he had a purpose behind that. And God is perfect in everything that he does. And everyone that he has created is perfect in his design. Now, we might make decisions and go in the wrong direction away from what the artistic design of the artist was. But what he's trying to do is, since we're his creation, he's trying to get us back to that place of being obedient to what he desires and what he designed us for. And it's all in his word. His word has his will in our lives. We are precious in his sight. We are precious in his sight. The artist puts great detail and value in his work. Every chip of the stone, every trial, every test, every sweeping of the brush and the paint that he puts upon our lives and that canvas of our life, there is a real meaning behind that and there is a purpose behind it. And enough to the point where you need to realize the value that God has in you to put you in this world for such a time as this. It wasn't just happenstance. God did it for a purpose. Because he knew that he could use your life for this hour. God wants to use us for miracles. He wants, us to, he wants to use us to reach lost souls. He wants to use us to encourage somebody along the way. He wants to use us to lead somebody to the cross to the, for the blood to cover their lives, for us to show them the way of truth. He wants to, us to be used in those ways because he put us in this hour not to cower down in fear and think, I can't do this. Let me tell you something. No, you can't do it, and I can't do it either. I can't preach the word of God without the help of God. I can't teach the word of God without the help of God. I pray every time I stand behind a pulpit that God give me a word that you want to speak to your people because I don't know what they need to hear. I could come up with a thousand different things to speak, but it's not going to be right. But God can give me a word in just a moment's time that is exactly perfect for that moment, that hour, that minute, and everything falls into place because God understands the beginning. He understands the past, the, the, the present, and the future. He understands it all. From the beginning to the end, he understands it. He has foreknowledge. He knows these things when we consider our lives and the value that the Lord put in our lives think about the book of Psalms 139 14 and 15 and also 17 and 18 it says in verse 14 of chapter 139 I will praise thee for I am fearfully and that's important fearfully and wonderfully made Marvelous are thy works, the psalmist was saying to his creator. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, you are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. And then skipping down to Psalms 139, 17, and 18, listen to what it says. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. Think about this. How precious, the psalmist was saying, are also are 
thy thoughts unto me, O God. Out of all the people in this world, God has a thought for you and for me. Think about that. Isn't that amazing? And it goes on. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great, listen to this, how great is the sum of them. It's not just a few thoughts that he has for you and me. I mean, how great is the sum of them. He is thinking and has thoughts about us continually when you don't even think anybody else is even thinking about you. Now let me go back again. How precious, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God never stops thinking about us. His thoughts for us are just keep going on and on and on and on. Verse 18, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. <laughs> if I should just count the thoughts of the Lord for me, they are more in number than the sand. Anybody ever been on the beach? How many of you have counted the pebbles of sand? Has anybody tried? We haven't even thought about that because that's an impossible task. Don't even waste your time trying because you, know, you can't even count that high. But when you consider, if I should count them, the thoughts of God unto me if I should count them if I should count them but I don't count them but if I should they are more in number than the sand when I awake I am still with thee that's our God hmm. pretty amazing isn't it pretty amazing the thoughts of God for you and me for you and me for you and me. It's amazing how God is, he's got everything laid out so intricate and he's orchestrating these things in our lives and in our world and he, he's an amazing orchestrator. He puts the pieces together and his thoughts for us just keep going on and on and on. Amen. I'd like for us to stand tonight and I would like for us to just just lift our hands to the Lord and thank him for his greatness. Fear not. Make that decision. Fear not. Just realize that God is with you. Your creator is with you. Oh, God, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. You have